Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Sari Ibrahim. Sari is a financial planner and member of the Bank on Yourself organization. He worked for companies like Allstate, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Cigna HealthSpring, and Humana before founding Financial Asset Protection, a financial services firm that focuses on one sole concept, the Bank on Yourself concept, which is also known as Infinite Banking concept. So we're really excited to learn more about Infinite Banking from you, Sari, and hear about a little about your story and your background. So welcome to the show. Hi, Eileen. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. So if you can start off by you know sharing a little bit about your background and how did you get started in real estate? Yeah, definitely. So as you mentioned, I started off in the, in the healthcare field. I was working for companies like Blue Cross Blue Shield, Humana, Cigna, and I was a Medicare consultant. So I was helping people who were like 64, 65 years old, merging off of their employer plans and onto their own individually owned Medicare plans. And I started to build a relationship with these clients and see them a lot. And one of my clients asked me if I could help him with life insurance. And he mentioned like there's a life insurance policy. It has cash value. I wasn't sure what he was referring to, but I told him I would do more research and I'd get back to him. So I went to Amazon and I searched for books about life insurance. That's just one of the ways I like to learn is I like to, I like to read books. So I read, I searched for life insurance books and I came across this one book called The Bank on Yourself Revolution by Pamela Yellen. And the book pretty much talks about the strategy called the bank on yourself strategy. It's also known as the infinite banking concept. And pretty much it is a way for people, uh, businesses, real estate investors to grow predictable wealth while still having access to it and to be able to use it for anything they want. So that's pretty much how I found out about the concept. And then the book also has a part in at the end that pretty much asks if you want to be a financial advisor through that organization. I applied through that program, went through an eight-week training program, and now I have the credentials of Bank on Yourself certification. So I'm part of the organization, and then I founded Financial Asset Protection with our primary niche using Bank on Yourself concept for real estate investors. So thank you so much for sharing. And so if from an investor standpoint, you know, if they have the whole life policy, insurance policies, and they wanted to kind of get started, what are kind of like the first steps that they need to do in order to get started with this infinite banking? Yeah, definitely. So I think the first step is to kind of understand what it is. So infinite banking is kind of a counterintuitive approach. It's using whole life insurance, mainly for the living benefits or the cash benefits to be able to use for investing in real estate or investing in your business, whatever it is that you want to invest in. So pretty much for those not familiar with whole life insurance, it pretty much has two segments or two aspects. One aspect to it is the life insurance component, which is like the title of it. And the second is there's a cash value part. It's like a savings account within the policy. And that savings account earns interest and dividends over the years, and it actually grows in value. And then you have the ability to leverage this cash value in places like real estate investing or different places. And actually, as you listen and, and see what happens is that 
the, the, the utilization of cash value whole life insurance within a real estate portfolio becomes actually the best source of funds to use because of the guaranteed liquidity. The insurance company will always lend you against your, your principal and because of the lack of volatility. In other words, the, the funds are protected by an insurance company that has been in business for over 160 years. So there's absolutely no volatility involved with saving with the whole life insurance company. And then of course, there's tax benefits to get into. So that's kind of like you're using a whole life insurance policy to invest in real estate. So you said initially, like the whole life the insurance policy has a cash value. So is it like the cash value that when you open up the account, you invest a certain amount of money in the beginning of it? Is that that cash value that you're able to tap into? Yeah, it's exactly. So let's say, for example, somebody's funding a policy for 20 years and they're putting in like $10,000 a year. As they're putting in $10,000 a year, a portion of those premiums going into it, a portion is going to go towards the cash value. And then another portion is going to go towards the life insurance to service the life insurance part. But over the years, the cash value ends up growing. So a lot of our cases typically break even probably around year three and a half to year four, they'll break even. So for example, if somebody's putting in $10,000 a year, by year four, their cash value would reflect the premiums going into it. And after at that point, the cash value would start to outpace what you're paying into it. So you're putting 10,000 in and the, the policy is growing by like $15,000 a year. So there will be gains in the policy that will outpace what the premium is going into it. Another thing too, to consider is that using this strategy, it's not necessarily like an either or approach. It's not either real estate investing or whole life insurance. Rather, it's an integrated approach where you can fund the whole life policy, grow the cash value in it, and then borrow against it to use in real estate, either to buy, depending on how much cash value you have in it, to buy properties or to invest passively or to do private money lending. But pretty much you can make that cash value in the policy work for you in real estate or other places. So this way your money's working in two places, in real estate and in the whole life policy at the same time. So can you walk us through the steps that you would need to take? Like, let's say you want to tap into those funds and you want to find an investment. Can you walk us through that, those steps on accessing those funds and applying it towards an investment? Yeah, yeah. Awesome question. Yeah, definitely. So when you have a bank on yourself type whole life policy with an insurance company, you also have like an online portal that you could log into the same as like an online banking. And you would log in and it would show you how much cash value you have. And whatever that cash value is, typically you could borrow up to 90% of it. So for example, if you log in, you have $100,000 in cash value, you'd be able to access 90,000 of that as a loan. And then to access the loan, there's a form you would fill out. And pretty much the insurance company would ask you, how much do you want? You could check, like, I'd want the maximum up to the available limit, which is $90,000. And then they ask you, where do you want the money sent to with checking and routing number? And then you would put that and then they would direct deposit those funds into a checking account. And then you have now, it usually takes about three to five business days to get to that account. And then now you have the ability to control when you pay it back. So you could do monthly payments back to the insurance company, or you could pay it back in annual premiums. You could take one year or 10 years, 15 years to pay it back. You do want to make it a habit to pay those loan back. But the interesting thing about it is when you have that $100,000 cash value and you borrow, for example, 90,000, and then you pay it back over 10 years, while you're paying it back over that 10-year period, your whole life policy is continuing to grow. The cash value is continuing to grow, meaning that the cost capital becomes cheaper to use from your whole life policy than anywhere else. Because as you're using those dollars, you're earning interest on those dollars at the same time. It's like saying you have a savings account that earns you 5% interest, for example. When you, rather than withdrawing the funds from that account, you borrow against it from a different source, leveraging it as collateral. When you need to do it that way, let's say you could borrow at 2% interest. 
Now you're buying money at 2% interest, you're earning at five. There's like a profit or an arbitrage of 3% now in there. That's the same thing here. You can, you have the ability to earn almost like a profit in the policy while still being able to leverage those funds and use for other places. So from what I understand, if you have a hundred thousand dollars using kind of your example a little bit. So if you have a hundred thousand dollars of value in that policy, you can take that hundred thousand dollars, borrow against it and use those funds to invest in another investment that you identify. And at the same time, that $100,000 in your whole life policy, you're still growing that $100,000 on however much the policy is allowing to grow based off of the interest on it. But at the same time, when you're borrowing against it, you're just paying back the interest. So the whole life policy is still growing at that $100,000 value, but you're mm-hmm. still able to tap in and use the $100,000 to apply to another investment that you identify. Yes, precisely. Okay. And so when you identify the investment, are there any limitations on what you can invest in? No, you could invest in whatever you want, whether it be in real estate, whether it be in business. It doesn't even have to be in business. It could be you fund a vacation. You could pretty much do anything. You could renovate your home. You could do anything you want with those funds. There are, there are no restrictions on what you do with that money. So, and what is the time frame of having to pay back what you borrow? Yeah, it's kind of hard to measure, but pretty much you would, they just call it kind of within reasonable time. And pretty much it'd be like, you want to make it a habit to pay it back. And also in relation to other investments, like for example, if you were getting a commercial loan, typically it'd be 15 years. If you borrowed from your whole life policy to fund a commercial deal, then typically 15 years would be good. If you're buying a car, you know, five years is typical, the, the average time period of financing. And then same thing with your whole life policy. So you kind of want to match it traditional financing, but in the sense that you're in control of that and you can miss payments, you can pay more, you can pay less to pay it down. And then of course it's about recycling it. So you're paying down those funds and then borrowing again to do it all over again for something else. So the, the money that's in the whole life policy in the cash value is meant to work for you in different places. It's meant to move around, but still sit somewhere safely in case if your investment doesn't go the right way or something happens in the stock market or something happens in the real estate market, you have your whole life policy funds to sit back on and to keep earning interest and dividends on. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. And so what happens if you take longer to repay it back? Or what happens if you don't repay back what you borrow? So a couple of things. So if you borrow and then you just completely never pay it back, and one problem that could happen is that if the loan balance keeps growing and you exceeds the cash value, then the policy could lapse in coverage. That's one thing that could happen. Or a second thing that could happen is if you pass away during the loan process, then they would pretty much deduct the loan balance owed out of the death benefit. So for example, if you have $100,000 cash value, $100,000 in cash value, and you have a $1 million death benefit, and then you borrow $100,000 or $90,000, for example, up to 90%, and then you pass away, they would take 
a million dollars death benefit, subtract the loan balance and pay that out to the beneficiary. So that's kind of the two things that would happen. Either the policy would lapse or they would simply take it out of the life insurance part. And then what happens if you miss a payment? Do you lose coverage? No. So if you're paying back the loan, oh, sorry, is the question pertaining to the premium dollars or yes, the loan? For the, for the premium dollars. Oh, okay. So what happens, it's pretty cool with whole life is that they'll give you usually like a 60 day grace period if you miss a payment to pay that payment back. And then in worst case scenario, if you don't pay it back, they could draw from the cash value to pay future premiums. You could actually borrow from the cash value, take money out and then use that to fund the future premiums. The cash value of, so then if you have the $100,000, but you've already, if you already borrowed against the $100,000, you can still take it against the $100,000 that's being invested in the policy? Okay. So if you, let's see, it's kind of tricky. So if you have $100,000 in cash value, and then the maximum you could borrow is $90,000. If you borrow $90,000 and you're paying back the loan period, you can miss payments on the loan repayment part. If you miss a premium payment, depending on how much, depending on how much you've paid back towards the loan balance, let's say you're paying back towards a loan balance. As you're paying back that loan balance, you're also having the ability to re-borrow that money again. So then you can re-borrow that money again to use for premium dollars if needed. I hope that makes sense. I know it's kind of tricky, but I hope it makes sense. No, it does. Thank you. That clarifies it. And so is there a grace period for when mm-hmm. I open up a whole life policy? You know, Is there a grace period before I can access that those funds? No, as soon as you get approved for the policy and you start funding it, usually... Uh, in the first couple of years, there's kind of like a dip in relation to how much cash value you're putting into. I mean, how many pre- how much premium you're putting into it in relation to cash value. So for example, if year one, depending on your age and the type of company we use, but typically if you're putting in $1,000 a month, typically in the first few months, you'd be able to access like 50% of that, like $500 in, in cash value if needed. So as soon as you fund those dollars and you fund the policy in month one, you'd be able to borrow up to the cash value limit in the policy. And can you help us determine like what would be the most common way to structure a whole life policy? Yeah, the most common, let's see. So there's a couple of things you could do. So one example is somebody could do typically funding it over a 20 year period. That's the most ideal. That somebody, for example, is 40 years old. They're going to put in $10,000 a year for 40, for, for 20 years until age 60, until they retire. And then after age 60, they could turn on the policy now to have like a pension almost where they're getting like monthly payments back to them after putting into the policy. They would get like, they're putting in $10,000 a year. They'll probably be able to take out $30,000 a year from the policy for the next 20 years and still have life insurance. That's kind of a usual method. Another way is a pretty unique way is that somebody could be, for example, again, let's just say 40 years old. They have like $400,000 in cash. They could buy a single premium whole life policy which is like a one-time single premium policy with that it doesn't have any more premium dollars. And then as soon as they buy this policy, they would have two benefits. One would be cash value. And the second would be life insurance. They would have cash value of maybe like $380,000 in year one. And the life insurance might be like $700,000. And now they could borrow up to $380,000 and then use that for real estate, use that for business, use it for whatever and then still have life insurance. And then eventually after about year three, their policy would have grown the cash value and then they would have like broken even on that, but still had the liquidity to use for anything they wanted. That's a very common thing to do is to do high premium, single premium cases. So that way you have much higher liquidity and it'll probably be more feasible for real estate investors if they had a few hundred thousand dollars to access after with whole life policies they could use for real estate investing. So what are some of the common mistakes that as you're going into and creating one of these policies 
and wanting to utilize it for real estate, what are some of the common mistakes that you see when setting up a policy? Yeah, common mistakes that I see is a lot of people assume that this is all in regards to all whole life policies, whole life companies. There's about 1,200 insurance companies in the US that sell whole life insurance, but you can't apply everything we're talking about here to all 1,200 companies. There's like a checklist of things that you need to know about. Uh, number one is that it has to be from a mutual insurance company. It cannot be from a stock-owned insurance company. So mutual insurance companies, they give their dividends and profits back to the policy owners, the customers, whereas stock-owned insurance companies give their dividends and profits back to the shareholders. So that's something that you consider. You want to get those dividends and profits back into your account. So it has to be from a mutual insurance company. Number two, there's something called the paid-up additions rider. The paid up additions rider is a piece that you add to the policy that helps kind of increase the cash value over time, significantly increase the cash value over time. Not every company offers a paid up additions rider. So you need to make sure that the company has the paid up additions rider and it's properly structured, meaning that a portion of all the dollars that, you go, that are going into the policy, a portion of them are going towards the life insurance part. And then another portion are, is going towards the paid up additions rider so that way you could increase the cash value quicker over time. So it has to be properly structured with the paid up additions rider. And then the third is something called um, non-direct recognition. This is where like, do you remember the example? We just talked about having $100,000 in cash value, borrowing, but it still keeps growing even though as if you've never touched it. That's non-direct recognition, meaning that the insurance company is going to keep paying you interest and dividends, not recognizing the outstanding loan you have. If it's a direct recognition company, then they will pay out, the, they'll pay out, they won't pay you interest and dividends because of the outstanding loan. So you need to make sure it's a whole life policy. There's a paid up additions rider. Another thing too, is you want to make sure it is whole life insurance, not universal life or not term. Of course, term life insurance has no equity. It's simply just life insurance only for a set period of time. And the universal life does have cash value, but I'm not too much. I'm not a big fan of it for universal life, especially using it in the infinite banking way because of the fluctuation of fees. It's kind of a checklist to understand, to make sure that you don't have a poorly structured whole life policy. That makes sense. Thank you. And can you talk a little bit about like the tax implications about of utilizing those funds? Are we being taxed twice when you're borrowing against it? Are you being taxed on what's whatever's inside the whole life policy? If you can talk a little bit about that, that would be great. Yeah, that's an awesome question. There are a lot of tax benefits with whole life policies. So typically in most situations, you're using after-tax dollars. So for example, you make money, you pay taxes on that. Then the, you're funding the policy with after-tax dollars. So you only pay taxes on it once, but then as it's growing now, it's growing tax deferred. So you don't have to claim those gains in the policy as it's growing tax deferred. And then when you go to take that money out, you're taking out that money after tax dollars or sorry, uh, tax-free because you've already paid taxes on it. And then the life insurance component is also tax-free too. So pretty much just kind of to resonate, it's an after-tax product and the growth of it is growing tax deferred. And in most situations, sometimes you might have to pay tax on the gains, depending on how the policy was structured. If it's something called a modified endowment contract, a modified endowment contract means a whole life insurance policy that went from a whole life insurance policy to more of an investment. And the IRS sees that now as a taxable contract, but we try to avoid that about 90% of the time. So 10% of the time, we'll intentionally do that. We'll intentionally create a modified endowment contract, even though the withdrawals and, and gains are taxable. The other benefits of the whole life policy still make sense for the clients on board, their accountant is on board, but still the other benefits outweigh the tax liability. But 90% of the time, we're, as we're funding the policies, it's growing tax deferred. You're taking out the money tax-free. 
And then the life insurance part is tax-free. So this means that you can build a policy, borrow against it, use those dollars over and over again in a 0% tax environment. So you know, even if tax rates go up, the fact that they're in the policy and you're using them over and over, you won't be taxed on that over and over again. Got it. Thank you. Um, and so, Sari, what is next for you and what is your next focus? Yeah, next um, is spreading the message about this. I've been 100th guest appearance talking about this concept. So I plan on continuously talking about this concept and spreading the message to let as many real estate investors and real estate brokers know about, about this concept and how they could use it within a real estate portfolio. And then pretty much, yeah, and, and I help clients in all 50 states. So I plan on kind of spreading it. And even in Canada and, and other places to spread this message, that's the next step. And Sari, how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? Yeah, definitely. So most of the real estate investing, so full disclosure, I don't do any real estate investing. I simply special, I'm the, like a financial planner for real estate investors. So that's, that's kind of the impact on it is that I have the ability to help real estate investors pretty much grow these cash reserves while also being able to leverage them. And, and I think that it's very unique that it's with real estate investors and not just real estate investors, but in the real estate space because of the need for liquidity and the need for the safety of these cash reserves, of course. I am in the process. I guess my next step after this is to become a real estate investor. Hopefully, I'm going to start off being a real estate investor in Chicago. So I'm looking forward to that. That's great. And so can you also share if there's any tools or techniques that you use in your business or your personal life that have made you more efficient? Oh my God. Yeah. I'm all about tools and techniques. Yeah. Since I am self-employed, I need to kind of stay on track. I don't have a boss to, you know, hold me accountable. I use checklists every day. I pretty much go to my calendar and I look at my calendar, all my appointments. And then I use a checklist to write all those down. I'm kind of old fashioned, but I guess it's the hand movement of writing everything down that creates a commitment. And then after that, I'll actually write it in like black ink and then check it off in red ink. So this way I could see what's been checked off, what hasn't been checked off. I use a CRM, a client relation management system to track of all the clients I talk to, all the podcast hosts I talk to, all the interactions I have. So this way I remember what was said. Those are just a couple of things. And I use scheduling techniques. I also do something called a priority recap every morning. Every morning, the first thing I do is I write out the intent of my day. What's the purpose of my day? What's the purpose of being in business? Why am I doing this whole self-employment thing? And then this helps me kind of mute distractions while I can focus on my business. Instead of getting sidetracked on other things, I'm kind of like programming myself to stay focused in the business and nothing else. Those are kind of some of the techniques I use. Thank you so much, Sherry. And uh, thank you so much for educating us on infinite banking and bank on yourself concept. And so if our listeners wanted to find out more about you and what you do, where can they go? Yeah, they can go to our website. It's a finassetprotection.com, F-I-N, assetprotection.com. And there's a link you can schedule a free appointment. And also uh, there's an offer for a free book, The Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash Book. I'll send that to you for free if you just reach out to us and ask for it. I appreciate being on the show. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much, Terry. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifacecapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.